This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors Podcast. Hey everybody, this is episode 42 of the Ridge Hunter Outdoors Podcast. Tonight we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do some question and answer. Been wanting to do that for a while. Finally got some questions sent in and we pulled a couple from the Southern Illinois Deer Hunters page as well. So if you hunt deer in Southern Illinois, go to Facebook, look that up, uh, Southern Illinois Deer Hunters. It's a pretty good page for guys to share some information and all kinds of deer hunting content. So it's not tied to us in any way, but we did start the page or I started the page just for that reason. So I think we're up to like 2,000 members. So uh, ask to join the page. All you got to do is answer one question and you'll be approved for it. Invite your friends. It's a pretty good page. So that's where we did pull from today a little bit on one or one or two of our questions. Uh, but before we get into the question and answer, we will be at the Deer and Beer Fest, the Illinois Deer and Beer Fest, on August 27th and 28th uh, at the Interstate Center in Bloomington. It'll be me and Nate up there. We'll be doing some podcast stuff. We'll have stuff from our sponsors, Racks Big Game Supplements and Grandpa Ray Outdoors. We'll be doing some show specials on their stuff. And then we'll have some of our products too. So we'll have some of the Ridge Hunter scents up there. We'll have, uh, like I said, some food plot seed from Grandpa Ray's, and we'll have some supplements from Racks. So come check us out. We'll be in booth number 148 if you're up there. If you're not planning on going and you're not doing anything that weekend, should be a really good show. So I know Iowa was a lot of fun. We've been trying to get into this one for like two years. They finally uh, having it again. They had to cancel it the last two years, so. It's going to be a pretty big show. There's a lot of good big-name companies that are going to be there. Uh, so it should be a lot of fun. If you're not doing anything that weekend, stop by. And if you're there, come by Booth 148 and say hi. Like I said, we'll be giving some stuff away, and we'll have some show specials on stuff from our sponsors. So with that, we're going to jump into our question and answer. And then we might have a little bit more after that. But to get started, the first question I got is the shortest one of the day. And they just asked if we hunt mornings early season. So to start, I'll say that I don't always hunt mornings early season, but I don't never hunt mornings early season. But I have my own reasons for that. I'm curious to see what your guys' thoughts on it are first. So Nate, if you want to go first, do you hunt early season, morning mornings and early season? No, I do not. No? And what, um, we'll uh, quantify early season as like the first two weeks, hmm. two and a half, somewhere in there. So like around the 15th to 20th, probably yeah. be the end of the early season, we'll call it. Yeah. October. I do not. Um, uh, I tell myself that there's, uh, uh, that I've got a purpose for not hunting. Um, it's probably because I'm just not real fired up yet. And uh, I don't normally have very much good activity early mm-hmm. season mornings in my spots. Um, there's still a lot of mosquitoes. That's another factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, what I the real reason that I base this off of, uh, and this is just me personally, I am not by any means saying that you can't kill a good one early season in the morning because you certainly can. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know, really, if you still got any pattern good from his summer feeding habits, those first few days, I think you can catch him, you know, in his, uh, uh, close to his bedroom 
if he's still up stretching his legs or something, I think you can definitely get him. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys do it every year, but yeah. I don't. Um, I uh, not saying that I wouldn't ever, because if I had one that I had pattern like that, if my cameras were telling me, you know, that he's consistently uh, moving around a little bit in the daylight um, on the edge of some of those bedding areas, then I might try him. Mm-hmm. But I, I haven't hunted early season mornings for quite some time. Um, I feel like me going in there and getting my scent on the ground for uh, what I don't have any evidence of on my cameras, I feel like it's counterproductive for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not getting pictures of him moving around. Uh, I just don't want my scent in there if I really don't think that I have any hope of uh, of actually connecting on anything, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but I, uh, it's just me personally. I ain't saying that you can't get it done. Right. But uh, if you're going to do it, well, I think I always say, if you're, whatever you're going to do, try to be smart about it, right? Yeah, right. Um, but I just, I don't feel like it's worth it for me. Yep. What about you? What are you thinking about? You know, back in the day, uh, October 1 was like a holiday. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm talking 20 years ago or, or maybe more. Everybody that hunted had to go out. They took the vacation day. It didn't matter what day of the week it was. Maybe on a Wednesday, we'll take off Wednesday, and we may not hunt again until Saturday. Mm-hmm. But October one, we're hunting, and and I've I've been guilty of that. I have went out of a morning. I have. It's I, mosquitoes just love me. I don't know what it is about it, it but they do, and. Early in the morning, they're less likely to eat you up than later in the afternoon. So if I'm going out there in the afternoon, early season, I'm just going to get ate up. So I don't usually go. Mm-hmm. So now, if I'm going early season, and and you quantify that by the first two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go and, and yeah, I'm going in the mornings, and then number one, your thermals are up. They're going, your thermals are going up. So what since you are leaving is going up as opposed to in the evenings when it's coming down and cooling down. Number two, if I go out there at four, five, six o'clock in the evening, the mosquitoes are just, that's their feeding time. Mm-hmm. And, and old Scott here, they feed on pretty hard. <laughs> so in the mornings, you know, as the temperature rises, thermal's going up, and by the time the mosquitoes are out, I'm ready to go home anyway. Mm-hmm. So for me, if I, do, it, it, if I do go early in the season, it will be in the morning. Um, for those reasons, I don't get as fired up early in the season as I used to, nor do I think most guys do. Now, you're, you're young hunters, you're first-time hunters, by all means, get out there and get after it. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. But for your seasoned hunter, maybe, maybe not so much. Yeah, I think I fall somewhere in between you guys because I think obviously there's more inherent risk of going in the mornings, especially, and to me, it comes down to a lot of where your entry and exit is. If you got to walk through a bean field or a cornfield to get to your stand in the morning, you might as well not go. If that's their destination food source, if it's a, di- I mean, you got to have the right setup because uh, if, if you walk through there, they're likely still out there when you're walking in at dark. So you're going to clear the whole field, not see any deer. You may run them off for good, running them off their food source like that. So uh, access has a lot to do with it for me. So if I've got a setup where it's just like I can slip in there and they're not going to see me, I don't have to go through any any food to get there or a bedding area to get out or blow my wind over either one of those things in or out. That's what I'm thinking about. And if I can do that, yeah, I'm thinking about going in the mornings. If we've got 
for instance, a good cold front coming through, I'll, if we got, it was a couple years ago, I don't think it was last year, a couple years ago, maybe three years ago, we had a really good cold front come through on like October 4th or something. Mm-hmm. So those are the types of mornings where I might go early season. Again, with mm-hmm. that right setup for the morning where you can get in without spooking any deer off their food or spooking them out of their bedding when you're coming out. And another instance may be where say it's just storming all night and it's got them held down where, you know, a real hard storm and it's going to let up at like 630 in the morning. A guy could slip out there and catch them maybe coming out to feed late, you know, instead of being out there all night in that rain and storming and stuff. So the weather plays a lot into it for me. And then, like I said, the access has a ton to do with it because whether your wind's blowing over that bean field or you got to walk right into it, they're going to be out there in the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's just the risk of hunting the morning's early season. Not to say they won't be there later in the year either, but their patterns are going to shift a little bit. So, mm-hmm. And that's why I think guys are more apt to have more success in the evenings because those deer are going back to their bed early in the morning, and then they're coming out to hit that feed field, and maybe you catch them 30 minutes before dark. Uh, just in general, though, early season, I don't get as excited morning or afternoon. Now, like you said, Nate, if I got one on camera that's been patterned and I know where he's eating every night at 6 p.m., okay, I'm going to get kind of fired up about going out and trying to get him before we switch his patterns. But just in general, while it's still hot and the mosquitoes are out there, I don't get as excited about it. And I think there's more risk than reward if you don't have a pretty solid uh, idea of what a buck's, a good buck's doing. I agree with that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, for me, going out early season um hoping to get lucky you know on uh on seeing because i do have a bunch of cameras there at home mm-hmm. um going out there and hoping to get lucky on something that i have no pictures of you know uh i don't feel like there's very much uh, chance of that happening at all early season but if you got one kind of pinned down mm-hmm. you know by all means you ain't gonna kill him if you ain't out there yep that's uh, a fact the, but the... uh but uh, the risk versus reward for me early season, if I don't really have some good information, I'm probably not probably not going to go. Mm-hmm. Which is where cameras today is, is far exceeds what we were doing back. Yes. The second biggest buck I ever saw in the wild within shooting distance was in the morning, in early season. Really? Back before cameras and anything else. Yeah. I mean, it was just dumb luck. Yeah. I mean, I set up a stand on, we did scouting as far as sign and all that, but we didn't have cameras or anything else. And I set mm-hmm. up, I set up a stand and I went early morning, um, in early season. And the second biggest buck I ever seen in the wild, uh, was in the morning, early yeah. season. Uh, uh, so it happens. How big it, was he? Uh, a friend of mine's got, I wouldn't say he's a friend, an acquaintance of mine's got him on the wall. He killed him that year. He was one high 160s, low mm-hmm. 170s. Man. So they ended- that was back. That, yeah. I mean, that was back when 180s in this county were unheard of. Yeah, at yeah. that time. That was a monster. At that time, I mean, it's still was, a really nice that, At that time, oh, yeah. everybody within 20 miles, within three hours knew he was dead yeah i mean that was just how big he was at yeah. that time uh, that would be like something that was 200 today yeah yeah mm-hmm. so uh, and i mean it does happen yep i just ran back through my pictures real quick um october 26th mm-hmm. uh is about when i start to get some good daytime movement mm-hmm. on the edges of bedding areas from mature bucks yeah um 
that Makes was sense. A, that was the last two years. Um, uh, that one I killed last year, uh, October seventeenth. He came out in the evening. Um, yeah, still in shooting light. I was 225 yards away from him, different spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that didn't work out. He came out one other evening before that, uh, that I have his picture as well. Um, the year before, I think around the 10th or the 11th, uh, he moved in the daylight. Uh, but again, this is in the evening. Um, you know, uh, your chances are way better then, um, in my opinion. But, uh, but yeah, as far as the morning, I wasn't getting his pictures until... Uh, October 26th last year and then the year before uh, I think it was November 1st, 2nd, 3rd and 4th mm-hmm. every morning he was hitting the same scrape why was I not there? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I was getting ready to say I think you get through that early season where it's hot like those first couple of weeks and then you mm-hmm. hit the notorious October lull where yep. just nothing's moving yep. which is probably the you know around the 20th to the 25th something in there 15th to 25th somewhere Mm -hmm. in that 10 day range and then after that or at the end of that is kind of where i start really getting excited about going Mm -hmm. and it's starting to cool down and especially that's when i'll start hunting more mornings Mm -hmm. uh, because of that movement whereas it doesn't have to be as perfect i'm still obviously being careful about entrance and exits and all that but it doesn't necessarily have to be because the front's moving through something like that now obviously i'm going to get out there early season just to scratch that itch oh because it's been you know that long since we however many months it is since we got to hunt last time so and it's so pretty sitting out there that it is so pretty but i'm also i think we talked about this on one of the early podcasts is i'm not going to go out there and sweat either yeah if it's still 90 degrees or 85 degrees i'm just not going out there period so if we do get a nice cool day early season uh evening i'm gonna go sit if i can get in there and like I said, if those particular situations come up and I got a stand set up that's good for it, I'll go hunt in the morning in the early season. It's not something I'm going to say I'd never do, but it's not something I always do either. Mm-hmm. So that was the first question. So the second one I got for us, and it's a little bit longer. The next two are both a little bit longer. Um, and if, if you guys are on the Southern Illinois Deer Hunter page, you'll maybe recognize these and uh, have seen them before. So. One guy says he's looking for Southern Illinois deer feeding habits. And this doesn't necessarily have to be just Southern Illinois based either, because I think this is a pretty universal question. He says, this is my second year hunting in Southern Illinois. First year was 99% soybeans on the farms. This year, about 65 corn, 45 beans. The question is, how long after the corn has been harvested will the deer hang around? I know some will think slash say until the corn is gone and it will depend on the amount of deer. But for a first-timer hunting Southern Illinois cornfields, I'm trying to see what, if anything, needs or can be done after the corn is gone. Thanks. So, we'll go the other way around this time. Uh, As far as maybe some options for what they could do after the corn is gone, I know one thing that we've talked about before that I've already got in mind, and I'm going to do it uh, one of the places I hunt, but, and then how long, you know, after the corn is shelled is what they're talking about you don't normally see deer still out in there so well again it's different now than what it used to be uh, 20 years ago the combines that were available at the time they would leave enough corn there that the deer would still go out and pick in the fields mm-hmm. until the corn was gone which might be 
half the season. Yeah. And if you got a guy at the gleaner, it still does. <laughs> yeah. Those are all gone, <laughs> or the ones that aren't gone are burned up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> caught fire and burned up. Mm-hmm. Uh, now with today's equipment, unless you have somebody that doesn't run, that doesn't mind running their uh, wagon over. Yeah, you know, or the hopper there, on the combine. Or the hopper. There is no corn in the field. Yeah, and so very little, very little. As long so as he's got to set right. Yeah. yeah, from from a food source standpoint, when that corn is shelled, the food is gone, and, and that's different than what it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. But if this guy's just talking about a couple of years, he, he realizes that when the corn is gone, the food is gone. Another thing that will change is. If you look at that corn as a forest, as a bunch of trees, the deer can hide in there. The deer can, they don't yeah, have to. That's what it is to them. It is. It's its cover for them in, in the nth degree. Mm-hmm. That is where your patterns change instantly. So if a deer is not only used to going to a food source, to a water source, even maybe the corn's too hard and really not palatable anymore to them, mm-hmm. they'll still be in the corn because it's a forest to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, provide cover. Yeah, at some point, the the food source I don't want to say goes away, but may not be as palatable as beans or anything else that's a little bit uh, softer for them. Mm-hmm. But when it's shelled, it instantly changes. So you I mean you think about it from a cover standpoint, it's it's gone instantly. So is the food source gone instantly? So their patterns change instantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I had that. The, the day it's shelled the patterns will change. So you can pattern a buck and all of a sudden, if you think on your cameras, for instance, Nate, that something happened on my camera, that deer has been here for three days in a row and now he's gone. You walk out there or you go out drive by there and the corn's gone. Ta-da. Mm-hmm. Right. So yep. I had that conversation with a guy the other day. You were talking about the corn being cover. He was talking about his woods and how he didn't want to get rid of the mature timber. Uh, deer really don't care that much about canopy. It does provide some rain and sun cover, but they're out there all every day, all day anyway. They're kind of used to that kind of stuff. What's important to deer cover-wise is five foot and below. Mm-hmm. Corn is eight, nine foot tall on mm-hmm. a good year, so that's a ton of cover. for 10 or 12 this year is a really good year. Yeah. <laughs> and just because it's not for us necessarily, or we're up in the tree stand and we can see over the top of it, those deer are just like they would be in a thick woods in yeah. a thicket. So yeah. that's a good point. What about you, Nate, as far as uh, if the corn's gone, is the food gone, and then, like, what can you do? I think I'm going to take your answer for the second That's part. That's fine. Because um, I think we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about, uh, you know, their patterns changing big time. I had a stud show up one year, uh, one night. Oh, gosh, he was big. Uh, and I'm thinking, I ain't never seen you before. What happened? You know, uh, they shelled the cornfield three-eighths of a mile away. Mm-hmm. There you, know? you go. And he was in the area for a couple of days. Uh, that changed him from his late summer pattern. Um, and then that quickly shifted him into his fall pattern. Uh, the neighbors ended up gut shooting him uh, later on. But he, they said it, they gut shot him. Uh, eh, we ain't got time for that. It's a long story. I got nothing but time. <laughs> All right. So... He, uh, he stayed in this cornfield. Oh, here, wait a minute. Yep. Okay, he stayed ahead. in this cornfield, very little cover. Uh, it seemed like, because that's when he showed up to me, was when they shelled it. Um, the neighbors, about three quarters of a mile away, shot him. They said they gut shot him, and he went, I am southeast of them, and he went west when they gut shot him. 
Um, very identifiable, big, slick, six by six. Um, I figured him about 170. Um, and I kind of thought he was a three-year-old. Uh, so anyway, uh, devastating, you know, that uh, he only ever hit one of my cameras. Yeah, that's a 200-inch deer in a couple years. Yeah, he only ever hit one of my cameras. It was always the farthest northwest corner camera toward the neighbors who got shot him. You know? Have I seen pictures of that deer? Yeah. I thought so. Yeah, so they said they got shot him uh, Saturday of first gun season that year. And he went west, which was the opposite direction of me. I am southeast of them. Um, the neighbor east of me, which would be a good mile and a half from where those guys got shot him, supposedly. I mean, they said they hit him. They watched him bed three times trying to get across a wheat field. Um, uh, and they said they had blood all over him and everything. Um, the neighbors east of me, it'd be a mile and a half from where he was shot. They found his sheds uh, early that summer. and I mean, it's absolutely him. He had one little kicker point. Um, and like on one side, a uh, little bitty tiny, but still mm-hmm. identifiable. The other side, he had like a common G2 and G3. Um, they wanted to come off the beam together. I, I don't know if you'd call it a split tine or not, but it was a very identifiable feature, you right. know, um, that dude survived and moved a long ways the other direction, you know, after he survived what they called a gut shot. I don't know exactly where they hit him, uh, but I never saw him again after they said they shot him. But then he ended up east of me, uh, shedding his horns, and he lived that long. But I never saw anything else that made me think that it could be him mm-hmm. after that, you know. But, I mean, I thought he was a three-year-old, and I thought he was close to 170. But, anyway, he showed up because they shelled the corn. Yeah. That's that's when he started showing up for me. But it's only ever hit that one camera. Well, it's just like clear-cutting a, a 40-acre patch of woods. Oh, yeah. I mean. He ain't going to stay there no more. Not <laughs> that, no, he, not he, that year. Yeah. He's going to he's gonna go somewhere. Now, yeah. he may go visit the scrapes that he's had you know yeah. throughout the year yeah but he's not going to stay there no. no you know it's like the corn um you know what changes will everything yep correct not uh, only food but cover which is two-thirds of what they need correct mm-hmm. yeah um yeah as soon as that uh, uh as soon as the corn that gets scattered that gets lost through the combine whether you know they're they're losing whole ears uh through the head mm-hmm. or if they're just seeding it out the back end because they ain't got it set quite right you know mm-hmm. yeah as soon as that's gone or like if they shell corn real early and then you get any kind of rain on it uh we've all seen where the corn uh where it sprouts and tries to grow again mm-hmm. you know so then you lose all your grain there yep because it sprouted you know it ain't, it ain't seeds no more so you could lose it there but if there's any grain out there that they can eat, they will, you mm-hmm. know, um, if there's no other high, more higher desired food in the area. Correct. You know, if that's what's the best for them and they can find it. I mean, they can pick around out there and they'll find it. But, yeah, as soon as it's gone, there's nothing for them out there. Um, but uh, we'd talked about before what can you do mm-hmm. to try to help that situation. If you got your farmer's backing, you can go in there close to your stand uh, while the corn's still standing, mm-hmm. like this time of year. Um, you can go in there between the rows of the corn, and you can make a poor man's food plot. You can sling clover. Uh, if you take a hoe with you, you can work up the ground even a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, Something just to scratch the dirt just a little bit. You don't have to have too much for a lot of these little mixes. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Go in there, scratch the dirt. Um, do it right in front of your stand, of course. I mean, you want it to be the most beneficial area for mm-hmm. you. Uh, but you can go in there and you can make a for, poor man's food plot. And then when the guy comes in there and shells the corn, uh, hopefully you'll have something, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that you can deal with. He's probably got the field fertilized, you know, to some point. 
um, it it the ground should be decent for you. Mm-hmm. It ain't ideal, but it, it can work. You yeah. Know, if you want to call it a poor man's food plot, it it's a possibility. Yep. And yeah. that's yeah. If you're hunting timber edges and such where the deer are are re- totally reliant on the corn for cover, mm-hmm. uh, you still have some cover in your timber edges. Then you can throw that you know for thirty forty dollars worth of seed or, or or whatever. Yep. You can have something there for food if if you're concerned totally about nutrition and not cover yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i don't think you can have too high of expectations for that plot uh you know doing it like that uh but it will probably get you something yeah you know yeah so the couple guys the property we were on and did that last year with some rye which i'll probably do it with oats and some wheat but they did it with winter rye and it come up really well. You could see where the combine had been through, and they lost some of it. Mm-hmm. But there was a decent stand of it there where mm-hmm. the deer had something to come out and eat after the corn was gone. Yep. And I think just to hit that last part of his question like you just did, that's that's an option for something you can do. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you got to have the farmer's permission to do it. Or if you own the ground, obviously that's a different story. But oh, yeah. uh, if it's permission ground, make sure you got permission to do that. Go out there generally there's not a lot of reason for them to say no i wouldn't think it wouldn't be a lot of uh drawback to it for them yeah and then throw that stuff out there and you got something when it's gone Mm -hmm. uh the first part of that question i think the answer was a little bit in it they said i know some guys are going to say when if the corn's gone and how many deer there are well that there's a lot of truth to that because especially where we're at there's enough high enough deer density a low enough number of corn left behind, whether you, like you said, it's the whole ears or the stuff that's come out the back. It's not going to take very long for those deer to pick through that. Mm-hmm. And cause they know they're yep. smart enough to know that when the combine comes through, there's going to be something left on the ground Yep. and they're going to have that stuff cleaned up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be a matter of weeks, a couple of weeks, but then after that, they're looking for something else. And yeah. That's not a reliable source for them anymore. Yeah. Unless your farmer is planting some cover crop, like a winter wheat, Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen that happen a lot of times. Sometimes, like you said, if they will, if they shell that early enough, there'll be some not just the corn that comes back, and then you lose that, but there'll be some regrowth in there of some kind of weeds. Oh yeah, like annual yeah. weeds. And a lot of times, what guys see deer eating on out in that cut cornfield, uh, a shelled cornfield, is those weeds that are coming back, that mm-hmm. green stuff. And yep. though, obviously, those aren't going to be there all year, and not all of them are good for the deer to eat. Yep. But sometimes they are, and a lot of times you'll see them eating on that. But Yeah. So that's kind of the same idea as going in there and throwing out some seed, some stuff that doesn't have to be very deep, wheat, rye, oats, clover, like you said, is a good one. Yeah. Annual clovers would be really good for that. You can do that, and then at least you got yourself some options. Yep. And you got the best of both worlds because you've got corn until it's gone, and then when it is gone, you still got that stuff coming up for the late winter. Yep. Uh, like I said, you're going to lose some of it, but it's a – I'm going to see – in the situation I'm in up there, there's very limited timber, so there's not a lot of reason for them to be on the property. They'll move through it. They don't stay there, especially after the corn's gone. Uh, now, when the corn is there, they're really hard to hunt because you can't find them. They're just, they move through there and you can't see them. They stay in that corn. They don't come out to the edges as much uh, in the daylight. When the corn's gone, you can see them moving through it. They're a little easier to hunt, again, because they have to use the terrain features and the timber and all that. So it does make it a little easier to hunt. Um, but I would say 90% of that ground is probably ag, uh, whether it be corn or beans. 
it's corn this year, like I said. So I'm going to go out there in a couple spots and try to do that and see how it works. And I might do some videos on it too, so we'll put those on the YouTube page. But it's, like I said, simple process. Mm -hmm. Works on paper. Worked for those guys on that property I was on. So mm -hmm. I'll be curious to see how much difference it makes for those deer up there and bringing them in and having some stuff, you know, in the there, There's a difference season. between uh, patterns changing and deer leaving. Mm -hmm. uh, as they shell corn... Um, within generally within two mostly within two weeks of a, of a square mile of where you're hunting wherever that is the corn's going to be gone mm -hmm. so when when one farmer uh, shells his corn within two weeks it's pretty much going to be shelled all the way around you that doesn't mean the deer is going to leave it just means their patterns have changed mm -hmm. so you know keep, check your cameras if you don't have any cameras you know drive around in the evenings and, and find out where the patterns are at they but, but when they haven't leave, is they don't got nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. If all the corn's gone, they're going to get back into the timber like they oh, did yeah. before the corn started growing. Yeah, you know. So then you're looking at, okay, I still have the only cover here if I'm mm -hmm. hunting timber. Now it's just a matter of what what have I done before? If I've planted, you know, if I sowed a little clover, if I sowed a little winter wheat or whatever. Yeah. So the next, the last question I've got says, I've planted three plots on my property in soybeans. A farmer also planted beans on the rest of the tillable portion of my property. I intend to plant a brassica mix in another plot, but was interested in knowing if you all leave your plot beans throughout the season or plant a fall mix on top of them in August. So I assume the way they're saying that, they mean like, are you killing your beans, tilling them under, and putting brassicas in? Because they did mention, are you leaving them, or are you doing that? So... Mm -hmm. I think going to be somewhat of a similar approach to the corn thing as well. But, mm -hmm. uh, your thoughts on it, Nate, obviously yeah, you're not going to be doing this with your soybeans now, but we might get into that a little bit later. I'm going to kill my beans. <laughs> yeah. no. Have um, you already killed your beans? Um, did the water kill your beans? I don't know. Is that it considered they were, killing them if they never got started? I don't know if they were ever alive. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got, uh, they went in good. They really did. Uh, but gosh, we got all that rain. Mm -hmm. um, you get a crust over the ground? No, I think the I think there's just so much water. They just drowned it. I think so. I didn't put life jackets out there. Well, them. you'll have that. Um, but no, I went out there. Uh, some of them had swelled great big. You know, some of them had swelled, I don't know, big as my thumbnail. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them had swelled. They took in water. Um, but I went out there like ten days after I'd uh, after I had planted them, and I didn't have nothing. I yep. just didn't. I still had some little pockets of water standing in a couple of little old spots that wasn't perfectly level. Uh, but I mean, that was an astronomical amount of water that we got oh, yeah, in was. like two weeks there. Yep. Um, so anyway, that didn't work. Um, if you got a good stand of beans and the deer ain't mowed them off and you got a lot of pods out there, mm -hmm. you know, they ain't going to want nothing to do with them that I've ever seen until they really, until the plant gets fully mature, you know. Uh, if they've not ate them yet, mm -hmm. right, you know, right, right. they'll come back for them later in the season. Uh, and I'm pretty much going to say late season. Yep. You know, um, they'll probably be hitting them uh, late November, early December. Mm -hmm. Like if they're still around like Christmas, I think you're going to have every deer in the country there until the beans are gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, they'll eat the crap out of them, out of those uh, mature soybeans in the pot or whether they burst and they fell to the ground and they pick them up real quick. Right. Um, but if you don't have beans, if you don't have beans in the pods out there, 
and you just got the plants, the plant's useless to you. You know, they ain't going to eat that plant. No, not after it's not after Yeah, not after it's stage. matured a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Before that, yeah. my gosh, they mowed down. Correct. Uh, they'll mow down a, a some well, that plot that we were, you know, Jeff's mm-hmm. plot. Yep. Between the rabbits and the deer, they mowed off Correct. a third of that. Oh, yeah. They, they, they wouldn't let plant. it grow. Correct. Yep. Um, if you've got... If you've got beans and they produce for you and they got pods, I'd leave them. Yeah. Um, but if they're just hammering them right now and they ain't letting them produce, ain't letting them grow to maturity, um, you ain't going to have no pods out there later. You know, it ain't going to do no better for you later. Uh, and as soon as that stem, as soon as it gets uh, stemmy, you know, sticky, yeah. uh, it ain't, they're going to they're gonna leave it alone then. Yep. I would get rid of that and I'd do something. I'd get a fall mix out there of some kind mm-hmm. to have something yeah. uh, that's going to be attractive to them besides a, uh, a dead beanstalk. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the fall mix is, a good fall mix is better than a stand of soybeans, mm-hmm. one over the other. But, man, if you've got standard soybeans, why get rid of them? They, the deer know what they are. Correct. They really like them. They are hard to beat. Uh, and like you said, in the winter, late November, December, when everything in the woods is dead, when uh, all the crops are out, so all they've got is the woody brows that they've got in the timber that they still still need for digestion. They don't really have any of that soft, more palatable stuff that also helps in their digestion. is a little more nutritious and tastes better for them. That's where your beans might come in. The actual beans, like you're talking mm-hmm. about, in the pods. Mm-hmm. And then that, that brassica mix obviously uh, accomplishes the same goal. But if you've got the beans, I wouldn't kill them to put a brassica mix in by no means. Nah. For the simple sake of being a waste of time and money of putting the beans out there. Mm-hmm. It's the same attractant. If you've got pods, if you've got beans in the pods, leave them. Mm-hmm. The deer will find them. Uh, whether they have to get to them or whether the pods break open and the beans hit the ground, the mm-hmm. deer will still find them. Yeah. All your now, if like you said, if you for whatever reason, if you go out there and that goes back to tending your own plots, if you go back there and you realize I don't have any beans in my pods, and all I'm doing is growing green stuff. When the green stuff dies, it's a use, it's useless to the deer. Mm-hmm. As long as you have beans in the pods, leave them. They'll, they'll find them, and they'll be the only thing around. In November, yeah, there won't be anything left. Yeah, and that's uh, that's what you're looking for in the first place. Oh yeah, I think you sure. had mentioned it, and then actually on that question, and then what my thought on it was is doing something similar with that corn. If you want to put a fall mix out there, just seed it into the beans. Yep, and that, then because one guy said that, yeah, when they die, uh, well, they don't die, but when they start to turn, mm-hmm. you know, leaves fall and all that. Yeah, then you're going to have sunlight to the ground underneath of them, and you're going to yeah. have green stuff underneath your beans, which is yeah. the best of both worlds. I think it is. Uh, uh, sunlight is the key, though. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to do that, make sure that you wait till those beans are just turning. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I'd wait till September. Yeah, those know. leaves are just just starting to fall off there because yep. you, you won't get any sunlight through that canopy yeah. on the beans. You don't want to let the seed sit there for too long without sunlight. Correct. Yeah. Uh, when they do die, they'll them rows will open up, and you oh, will yeah. get some sunlight to the ground. Oh yeah. Later on in that maturity life of that of that bean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of the uh, plant itself. You know, a lot of times in our fall mixes and stuff. Anyway, we like to add beans in, or if a guy's got a good spot like we got there at Jeff's to put a brassica blend backed up to soybeans, that's the 
the best thing you can do. If you've already planted your whole plot in soybeans, like it sounds like this guy might have done with one of them, mm-hmm. and they're standing, I think that's an option you can do. If you want yeah. both. If you don't want to spend the money on the brass, because you've already got a pretty good plot there, as long as, like you said, the deer haven't mowed it down. Yeah. yeah. And that could be another thing, you know, too, though, another point to that. You, you're you adding tonnage if you do throw in that brassica mix onto your soybeans, so you're mm-hmm. lengthening the life of your food plot for that year. Yeah. So that, that plot of Jeff's where they've ate it down, mowed it down to nothing, and the, and the weeds have pretty much took over where the beans would have been. Mm-hmm. We're better off to kill that and plant some kind of a fall blend. But the beans, they're they're going to make beans. They're going to pod out, and we're not going to do anything with that. We're just going to oh, yeah. let that stand. Yeah. So you know, again, it depends on what's happened early to that bean plant to what the answer to that question is. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I know a guy that you know him. I won't say his name now for, eh, I just won't. But anyway, uh, he said that he started planting beans years ago. Uh, he planted half an acre, and he just had little nubs out there. You know, they never let him grow. And he's in a huge, I mean, a heavy, heavy, heavy deer populated area. Um, fantastic stuff. And he's planting on a hilltop uh, close to a big creek bottoms. Tons of deer. Um, half acre didn't work. Acre didn't work. Two acres, uh, he started growing little beans because they couldn't graze that many down. Um, still wasn't satisfied. Three acres, uh, did better. He got up to five acres, and then he finally was uh, had enough beans standing out there to where he had pods and everything, and uh, and had uh, beans out there for the whole season, you know, to hunt over. Uh, and he said later on, I mean, they hammer them, absolutely hammer them. But that's a big investment of time and money. Well, who's got, yeah, who's got five acres to plant beans and just leave them? Correct. And yeah. that's a big, I mean, that's a big plot to start with. It is. You go to hunting a five acres, you're now you're talking about more of a destination spot anyway, as opposed to a hunting over it plot with a bow, yep. especially. Oh yeah. Because like we talk about all the time, you it's going to be hard to figure out exactly where coming in and out of that. Absolutely. We've planted. Uh, you guys planted two different style of beans, mm-hmm. and one of them was. The food plot was supposed to regrow, and then it was just a regular, you know, I don't want to say just regular. Just a plot bean. bean but a, and they mowed them down enough, you couldn't tell the difference. I mean, yeah. if it was regrowing, they were eating it faster than it was regrowing. Yeah. Now, not the whole plot, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, there's a significant difference in the, the beans that were closer to the pine trees mm-hmm. than the ones that weren't. Yeah, and that's one thing, too, where we're at, we've got like a tiny little you've seen it a tiny little plot of beans they haven't eaten all of them though we got a pretty good stand there it's not bad right uh, no bigger than it is it, but it, it, it all right what we have there to help that is we have clover on one side of it there's corn next to it uh, but there's not a lot of beans around there this year maybe one one other field but the woods is there's tons of forage for them in the woods I mean, a lot of tons of browse form in there. So mm-hmm. that keeps a lot of the pressure off of your soybeans yep. while they're still growing until yeah. they get to the stage. That'll help them get to the stage where the deer are going to leave them alone until they put the pods on. So that's the thing we talk about a lot of times. If you've got a food plot and you think it's too small because the deer are grazing it down all the time, take a look at everything else around first. Then maybe you're not knocking down another acre and a half, and now eventually you've got a three-acre food plot. And a lot of guys don't realize it, but three acres is a lot. Oh yeah, that's a big sure. plot. Yeah. Uh, but when maybe all you, what you have would have had to do in the first place is go and do some 
more selective cutting, not select cut in the timber world, but more selective cutting of some mature timber in your woods, Mm -hmm. allowing that canopy to open up, get some more natural browse in there, Mm -hmm. takes the pressure off your food plot early in the year, and then you've got a better food plot, you've got more browse form in the woods. Mm -hmm. Uh, Best of both worlds, instead of going in and clearing out all that, now you've just spent more time and more money on your food plot and still not accomplishing that goal because you don't have enough. And I'm not saying that's what happened in his situation. Yeah. Because like you said, deer density matters too, so... Mm -hmm. But you do I got, have to I got have a, a camera on balance. that. I got a camera on that food plot. We put one out uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, just to start seeing to, more or less for inventory. Mm-hmm. And uh, we found a funky looking rack deer. That's I, what we like. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. It's funky, um, and some does. And uh, I had it. it set on pictures, a three burst picture. So I moved it to video this mm-hmm. time. So I and I haven't checked it in the last. Uh, five days we're going to check it again when jeff in the next three days and see but they're they're moving through the plot they're coming out of the timber into the into the plot so we'll see Uh, just to come an inventory camera Mm -hmm. just to see what's there but now this guy was right up on top of my camera i've got it where the you've been out there right Mm -hmm. so uh we got the corn the edge of the corn and then opens up into the clover, mm-hmm. and then on the very east side, there's basically a, just a kill zone that mm-hmm. they're going to plant winter oats. Yeah, we got it. We're actually going to do uh, the southern jubilee mix from Grandpa Ray, and then mm-hmm. throw some oats in there as well. Okay, so right at the edge of the corn and the edge of the clover, looking overlooking that that dead zone into the timber. So the deer are moving that coming out of the timber into the dead zone, moving into the clover is kind of where we're at. And I've I've not been disappointed in the pictures that I've got so far. So a little inventory there. They're using it. They're using it. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of benefit from that plot when everything else is gone too. Mm-hmm. When they when they get the corn out and whatever beans are around there, I think we'll really start to see them hammer that thing. There's and, there's corn east of it, ain't there? Mm-hmm. Is there corn south? There's corn everywhere. Corn on all sides of it. The only one I thought three, sides. three sides of it. The only one I thought, yeah, the woods and his properties on the other side, but yeah. Uh, all sides that are farmed. Yeah. I was thinking, though, to the southwest, is that not a bean field? Or is it corn? I can't remember. Across the... Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, I, You know, I thought... I'm not sure, Canyon, on that no, one. That, if there is a bean field, that's the only one that's, that's close to it. That's the only one, but, right. But even still, I think when they get all that stuff out... But all that's going to be gone in October. That's what I'm saying. And ours is going to be the only stuff there, right? If once that gets out, we'll start seeing a lot more pictures... I think that's where even your smaller food plots matter mm-hmm. when everybody else's is gone. And the right blends, too. The right it's, blends. It's got to be something that's going to be there that time of year. Right. I mean, you can't plant something that's going to be, that's going to die before then or go dormant. And, and we caught a glimpse of a decent deer on Jeff's camera there where he hunts or where he's going to hunt there close to the state ground. Mm-hmm. And next time when he's on here, I want to have him talk about uh, what he's doing down there, but he's doing a kind of a small poor man's plot mm-hmm. next to that stand with some stuff um, and actually using some rye grass which i mean if you get on these habitat manager pages and food plot pages guys just like to lynch you for using that stuff and i don't recommend it a lot because it's grass and it's not there's not a lot of nutritional value to it but i had planted it before there at the cabin and had deer just come into it and eat the crap out of it and I read an article the other day about it where the guy said kind of the similar thing as that. And he said, 
it's not the first choice, but for a cheap option, like where Jeff's at in that situation, something that's easy to grow, mm-hmm. too many people have had success over it to ignore it completely. Mm-hmm. So, again, I don't ever recommend it necessarily, but if you are needing something that's cheap, because it's cheap, it's in a lot of blends that you find at Walmart, uh, and it's easy to grow. It can be hard to get rid of, but if you're looking for something like that, it's again it doesn't have a lot of nutritional value. But it's gonna you're gonna see some deer come into it, I think, and I think you'll see a benefit from having it there in that certain spot. It'll be a good draw for him where he's at. Yeah, I think where he's at is is tonnage later in late season, especially because there is nothing there. Once they harvest those crops, yeah, and and today's combines for sure, there's nothing left. Uh, yeah, and that's the, not the tonnage value is going to be all it's in it. It's got some oats in it too, the mix that he's got too out there. So that'll be that does have some nutritional value it's around those pine trees. There is no, there is no, there's no forage. There's no forage at all in the pine thicket there. No, there's no all. browse on that side. None. So that'll be a good benefit. But well, you mentioned your beans a little bit there. They didn't turn out. Not at all. So the plan now is a couple different things. Yes. What, so what did you it? click crop insurance on that? Yeah. I've been after that guy. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, he won't answer my calls. <laughs> um, I know you got a couple blends from Grandpa Ray's there yes. that just come in. Uh, I'm gonna. It wasn't grains and greens. What was it? You've got some elite. You've got some fall draw. That's what it was. Yes, got, I couldn't think of the name. And you got some inner sanctum from inner, the other plot. I inner believe inner sanctum's going in the sprout patch. Uh, elite's gonna go uh, in the edge of a weed field. Um, against a crop field, that's gonna that'll be an interesting spot. I'm interested to see what it's gonna do. Uh, that'll be a brand new plot for that location, just a half of just a half an acre. Mm-hmm. Inner sanctum, it's gonna be 0.9 acres uh, down there in the sprout patch. That's as big as I could make that mm-hmm. um, for where right there where I'm gonna put it. But that should be a dynamite spot. It really should. Yeah. Um. Uh. Long story as to why I'm getting back down in there as well. Um. But uh, it's, it's all got to do with pressure. But anyway, that's going to be a dynamite spot. I really think it will. And then uh, the acre and a quarter that was beans is going to be fall draw. I'm excited about that too. Yeah. I'm going to do a couple different things, I think. I'm going to try. I think I'm going to try some of his grains and greens there once yep. I get that bigger plot made. Yep, which we- he said he loved that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. He said that was probably his favorite one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easy to grow. You're sure to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. And then it's a lot of nutritional value and a lot of high yield, which is a lot of what he talked about, mm-hmm. high yield and high nutrition, and a lot of those correlating too. So I'm going to try some of that. And then I'm going to hopefully do some videos on that. I'd like to do some videos on that there at the cabin too where we're going to open that up. That'll be that'll be a later planted plot probably because we're fixing to work on other guy, uh, client properties here the next couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. getting ramped up for that. Got Yes. Uh, every day next week. Almost every day the next couple of weeks, I think we'll be on client properties putting stuff in the ground. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Yep, I uh, think me and my buddy uh, that hunt together, me and him hunt together a lot. Uh, tomorrow's his birthday. I think he took his birthday off, mm-hmm. and I think he's going to run a tiller uh, until he don't feel like tilling no more. <laughs> yeah, his and yours. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got one, two. Probably about he'll probably have about six acres he'll cover tomorrow mm-hmm. if he can. Yeah, how big a tiller is it? Seven foot. Seven. Oh yeah, yeah. he'll get that. No problem. Five we, hours. We can go about an acre an hour, uh, reasonably. Yeah. Depending. Yeah. Um, 
I think we've got everything sprayed and killed. Uh, that makes a big difference. Oh yeah, um, we're we're going in there to scorched earth, you know, for mm-hmm. the for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we'll be okay. That one little new plot, I said uh, I haven't done anything with it. It's just barely been an idea for a week now. Yeah. Uh, so I am starting for big time scratch with it, uh, but we ain't gonna get it done tomorrow. Yeah. Yep. You gonna plant them next week, probably. We've been this looking. For, we've been looking for rain. Yeah. Um, the fall draw, it should go in pretty quick. The inner sanctum should go in pretty quick. The mass builder should go in pretty quick. That's uh, me and his together. Mm-hmm. He's got grains and greens that's going in. He's got inner sanctum that's going in. Um, the elite, I think I'll probably be more at the end of August with it. Uh, but I think. I think that's maybe when uh, I hate to say, hate to say for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, a lot of this stuff that we're that we're doing is pretty tolerant either way. Yeah, but I'd like to not get it too early because, like John said last week, I don't want to have stuff get too mature too mm-hmm. quick before the prime time of when I really want these deer to be in the stuff. Yeah, you know, um, that's something that uh, that I got to watch. But I've always felt like we in this part of the world. You just had to to be prepared and plant stuff when you had a decent rain coming, yep. you know, just just to hope you got to get out of the ground. This year, water has been a problem mm-hmm. because we had too much, yeah. right? Yep. Um, and it, it's never that case. Yep. Uh, that's what you said there about what he said. Patience is just as important in food plotting as it is in the actual hunting part of it. Yep. So a lot of guys would get anxious about, and, you know, some guys that you work for, guys you'll see, Man, getting out and doing food plots already. Hey, you get that food plot put in yet? Hey, you do this yet? And it's like end of July, you know, first week of August. Yep. We just wait a little bit longer. We get it in and be like, when a lot of guys doing it for the first time don't realize how fast some of that stuff grows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they don't believe that you can plant something at the beginning of September, end of August, and have it there by October 1st. Correct. Now, it's not going to be mature, but you don't want it to be anyway. No. So... You can have you'll have green there by October first, even waiting and planting it. And that's what you got to do. Yeah. And then even like you're talking about with the rain, that's the biggest thing too. A lot of guys want to plant according to just to the calendar. You got to plant to the season. Correct. Uh, like you said, we've got probably enough moisture right now that you're going to be pretty safe without mm-hmm. a rain for a little while. Oh yeah. So it's not going to be as big a deal. Yeah. But if you can do it, especially depending on what you're planting, mm-hmm. and if you're just broadcasting and how well you can get the soil worked, if you got to wait for a good rain, wait for a good rain. Yeah. And then plant it before that and let it do the work. Yep. You can do everything right, but if you don't do it at the right time, then it's still ain't going to work. Yeah, Mother Nature definitely gets a vote in that. Yeah. And then you can do everything right and do it at the right time, and it might dry up for the next four weeks, and then mm-hmm. you got nothing. Correct. Or wash it out like it did your beans. Yep. Uh, we had some beans that dried up. I think what they did was swelled up, and they mm-hmm. didn't get any more rain. Mm-hmm. Down where we planted them, dried up, and they never come through. A few yeah. of them, just f- enough moisture to get them started, and then and they weren't deep enough mm-hmm. to to hold that, and then it dried up. Yeah, some of them tried to come up, but the deer pretty much hammered what was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could see where they were going to come up, okay, but I just don't think they got enough rain um, after they were planted. Um, but then the guy that we actually did that for, he said he had the same thing happen out where he was at, planting like mm-hmm. three acres of beans or something, similar situation. So it's been a little bit tough on that this year if you're late planting beans, which is what we all did, but it happens. So we've got backup plans for all that. But 
just need a big red 40 foot bean drill <laughs> yeah. behind about 300 horse tractor yeah. just drag that out right. through there and need to do the uh, indian rain dance mm-hmm. that's right know, at the right time I got a nice loincloth. Is that right? <laughs> yep. That Nugent special? I don't, Correct. I, don't, I don't need to know about that. That's TMI. I don't need to know about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> got anything else for tonight? I don't think so. I, I'd seen a couple of decent bucks. Yeah. Uh, we drove around last night, uh, saw a couple of decent bucks. They was right in there, kind of where they needed to be, you know. I had an idea they was there. They, they're okay. They ain't nothing, nothing like what... Uh, what i ended up with last year but i mean they're okay mm-hmm. i'd say two of them might uh I, i'd have a real hard time not shooting them if they're what i think they are from half mile you know i didn't have the spot and scope last night just my binoculars mm-hmm. uh yeah i had actually a guy messaged me while we we're recording this and said he's starting to get some pretty good bucks on camera mm-hmm. a couple other guys i know have started seeing some so they're starting to show up on the cameras. Of course, mm-hmm. they'll disappear by October first, and you have to wait them out again. But I think, yep. I think they switch a, off their summer patterns. I think it's a great time of year to start taking inventory of what's, oh, yeah. what's possible for you. Mm-hmm. Again, we talk about everything changing in harvest and all that. But if you start cameraing up now, and not you know you don't have to go out and spend the money if you don't want to get on your cell phone camera mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You can go mm-hmm. check them if you want to. But you, you know, you start taking a little inventory of what's moving through your property or where you're able to hunt at, and and you'd be surprised from one week to the next how 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 deer grow this time of year. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, the velvet system amazing how much difference they'll change. But you can still recognizable. Mm-hmm. We say, hey, that that's that same deer, but he's another you know twenty inches or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of them are pretty close to done by this time of year. Uh, one Generally. last night was very, very, very light colored velvet. Yeah. Uh, the earliest I've ever had a hard horn picture was October 6th. Mm-hmm. And I know he's an outlier. I know that was crazy. Uh, but he was like 120 inch eight point. He October was, 6th? Or August, August 6th. August 6th. Okay. Good grief. Yeah. Yeah. August August 6th. Um, it's been, it's probably been 10 years ago now. It's been a long yeah. time. But I'll never forget uh, August 6th. He was hard horn. And all the buddies he was running with, they wasn't hard horn for another good month, you know. Yeah. Uh, but last night I did see one that he, eh, he didn't have any balls at all left on the end of his tines, you know. Mm-hmm. They was all getting real slender, real slender out there toward the end. Yep. I think he's pretty much done. But all them guys that he was running with, they still had real dark velvet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he looked way different than all the others, you know. Yeah. I think he was getting close to being done. Having said that, I've been in, in the in the processing business for 40 years, close to it. And I've never had a velvet deer in October 1 turned into the shop. Yeah. Now, there's been a little bit of hard velvet left where they haven't mm-hmm. rubbed it all off, yada, yeah. yada, yada. But as far as a velvet, and, and with, the exception, a one year? with the exception of circumstances where you've had does that have uh, horns. Maybe last year. Or bucks that have had, have been castrated for yep. whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, just your normal, typical deer by yeah. October one, they're done. Yeah. They all uh, in in the years that I've been involved in it, they've all been done. So yeah, certainly by September, you got to consider they're rubbing that stuff off. Yep. Yeah, most of them are. I don't know what the percentage would be, but I bet over ninety percent done by this point. A growing somewhere right in there probably. So. Might still have a little bit left, but they're going to be looking to, as their testosterone starts to come up, they're going to be looking to get that stuff off of there and then start figuring out dominance and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, uh, I had another thought on that, but I lost it. So, unless you got anything else, going to the end. We did mention our sponsors earlier. So, the first one for tonight is Rack's Big Game Supplements. You guys have heard us talk about them if you listen to the podcast at all. They're a veteran-owned company out of northeast Nebraska. At the time when they started developing their products, they weren't real happy with what was already on the market. So through years of research, they came up with Rack's Big Game Supplements. Um, they're going to help improve your herd's overall health while not feeding non-target species like raccoons. So they've got minerals, protein blocks, pelletized feed, and meal feed, all specifically designed for whitetails. You can use discount code RHO22 at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order at RacksMineral.com. You can also stop by the shop and see what we have in stock or make an order for what we don't. Uh, the next sponsor for the podcast is Grandpa Ray Outdoors. And if you guys didn't, you need to go back and listen to the podcast from last week because we had John O'Brien on, who is the owner of Grandpa Ray Outdoors, and he had a ton of good information. Um, we could have talked probably all night and picked his brain about different food plot stuff. Uh, all the information he had was great. So go back and listen to that episode, episode 41 with John O'Brien. But his company, Grandpa Ray Outdoors, they specialize in providing the best nutrition for white-tailed deer on your property, starting with the soil. They offer a full line of high-quality food plot seed and plant foods. Uh, they started in 2015, but John has actually been in the seed and nutrition business since 91, like he outlined on the podcast last week. They've got over 14 different food plot blends to choose from. Uh, you're not going to have any trouble finding what you want. They've got fall and spring blends, corn and beans, switchgrass, liquid fertilizer, soil test kits, you name it, they've got it. Uh, they're not just about selling their products, though. Uh, just He'll answer any questions you have about what blends would be best for your specific property. Uh, that way you can achieve the best results possible. So if you do have questions about what would be the best blend for your soil type, your property type, location, send them an email or contact them through the website, and they'll get you an answer on that, and then they'll work with you. Like us, John and his guys don't believe in a cookie-cutter approach to wildlife nutrition. They'll treat you and your situation individually. They're not about a fancy label or package. They're about good quality seed and taking care of their clients. We've used their seed blends on client properties, on our own properties. We just talked about what we're going to be using this year, and it's been as good as advertised so far. So that's why we're going to continue to use their seed and why we partnered with them for the podcast. You can go check them out at GrandpaRayOutdoors.com and use discount code RHOPODCAST, all lowercase, to get 5% off your entire order. That's all we got for tonight. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. We will catch you again next Monday.